So I hope after that introduction, you're actually interested to hear from Jesus and not just me. Um, I think we have a, a pretty important gospel reading today. Um, this is one of those really big moments in the Gospel of Mark here. Um, and um, I, I, I hope that uh, I can communicate some of the, the seriousness with which Mark sort of frames this in his, in his gospel. So I, I don't know if you've studied the book of Mark, but the book of Mark kind of works like a mystery novel or like a crime novel or something like that, but of a particular kind. See, Mark, at the very beginning of his gospel, tells you who the person is that we're looking for. The very beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So from the beginning, you know, it's, it's like these, these uh, mystery novels where you know, you maybe see the crime or you, you know who the killer is, right? And so you read the rest of the book or watch the rest of the film and you know, you know, he's talking to so-and-so and you're like, that's him, that's him, Go, you know, he's, that's a lie or whatever. Um, and that's kind of what's happening here in the book of Mark. We know who the person is. And so now the interesting thing is our attention doesn't focus on who's the right person, who are we looking for. It focuses on the people in the story and how they're coming to know and learn who this person is, right? And this is all going on. You even see, like, there's moments where the people who are possessed by demons point out, you know, look, there's, there's the Christ right there. And... Jesus says, you know, don't, don't tell anybody. We're still trying to have a good mystery novel here. So um, we then come to this place here where Jesus is walking along with his uh, associates. And they say, well, he, he kind of gives them a, a bit of a quiz, you know. So now, who do you think, who's done it? And Peter uh, figures it out. Um, with God's help, Peter figures it out. And uh, actually, we have actually no evidence that the rest of the disciples could have said this too. So this might be a kind of a difficult moment for Peter. He kind of says, this is what I, this is what I think. And who knows what the others are actually thinking when he says this, whether they think, oh boy, Peter, you know, maybe you could keep that to yourself. Um, but it's a question for us. What do we, what do we really believe about Jesus? Um, if if uh, this comes to us, I mean, basically these people who are with Jesus, they, they're, they're willing to associate with him. They, they, they're willing to be seen with him. They're willing to kind of share in his sort of fame and that. And, uh, but they don't know who he is. They don't really know who he is. And uh, so, what, what, do we know who he is? Do we know who he is? We, we're, you know, as we're in here in the church, so we're, we're willing to be seen with Jesus at least. But do we really know who he is? Um, and then, then the, this interesting thing happens. So, Jesus says, um, all right, good job, Peter. That's right. And then he tells them something that he, Peter was not expecting at all. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, 
and after three days rise again. See, now this is, for the book of Mark, this is, another, this is like a second announcement. We already had the one at the very beginning of the gospel, and here we have another one where Mark, through Jesus, is going to tell us what's going to happen. And we all know this. We all, in fact, pretty much anybody who picked up this book or heard it knew this guy Jesus, he got killed, and he rose again. Like, that, that's sort of the basic thing. So you're told what's going to happen in the story, and then, but, but the people who don't know who this, what's going to happen are Peter and them. And so all of our attention focuses on them. What are they doing? What are they, how are they going to handle this announcement, this sort of uh, revelation? And uh, there's an interesting word here. I don't think I'd ever noticed this before. It says here, um, Jesus says, and he said this to them, and he said this plainly. Not really a virtue of Jesus's sort of plain speech, just to sort of say, well, here's how it is. Uh, Jesus is more of the obscure kind of guy. Um, but you see, this is, he really, he wants to get their attention, and he certainly has got their attention. And so Peter, um, just, you got to love Peter. We're watching Peter now. We know, we know what's going to happen. So we're watching Peter, and um, Peter's a Christian. Peter's got the right answers. Yeah, he knows this guy here, he is the best thing the earth has ever seen. He knows the right answers, but he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand the right answers. So he goes up to, this is this sort of comical situation, he goes up to, to Jesus and sort of wants to sort of tell him what, what's up, you know. Jesus, you know, have you, have you read your Bible here enough? Um, this isn't really what's going to happen to the Christ. And um, the, the right answer just won't do Peter any good until he understands the right answer. And it, um, it really is the same with us. Um, we're on a long journey to understand what it means that Jesus is the most important thing that's come to earth, what it means to confess Christ. And, and me too. I mean, this is, this seminary will not cure this problem for us. Um, going to more Bible studies won't cure this problem for us. Um, church services, reading more books, better books, it won't, it won't cure this. You can have all the right answers and still not understand Jesus. And we, we just cannot, we can't be, be naive about what's happening in these, in these scriptures here because Jesus comes into a Bible study culture. These are people who, I mean, their whole culture revolves around reading the Bible. This is one of the most, this is the most literate culture that the world has ever seen now. They're teaching all of the male children, at least, to read the scriptures, to read, first of all, and read so they can read the scriptures. So this is a, this is a group of people who they, you know, you schedule a Bible study for midweek, and they're there. They're there. They, they study the scriptures. And Jesus comes into this, and, um, and they still don't really understand what it means for him to be who he is. Um, see, the interesting thing is, what really helps, Jesus says it here, what really helps is not knowing the right answers, but getting behind Jesus. And let me show you how this works here. Um, see, there's this, there's this moment here where Peter's rebuking Jesus. So Peter's maybe here talking to Jesus, 
right? Saying, you know, Jesus, uh, did you read Ezekiel yet? And um, Jesus, it says here, turns and looks, and he sees the other disciples, right? And they're sort of watching this little comic scene kind of take place. And, um, you know, when, when somebody rebukes you, we, if it, it's interesting because we're, we're above this, and we sort of see, we know Jesus is right. And Peter, he's just putting his foot in his mouth, and he's just, you know, making a fool of himself. And we know this, and Jesus has every right to just sort of say, you know, Peter, you've got it wrong. And, it, you know, but you don't actually have to, when somebody is in the wrong, you don't have to necessarily correct them on the spot. And I think it's interesting that Jesus does this, that Mark includes this in the gospel. Jesus does this because he sees what the other disciples are watching here. He sees that they're doing it. And now we kind of get this sort of, what are we going to say? Well, counter-rebuke. Counter-rebuke of Peter. And he says this word. I'm sure this sort of stands out to all of us, this sort of get-behind-me-Satan. Like, what? what is Jesus doing here? Like, this does not really fit him. And what I want to do, I, you know, this is, this is typical Jesus. He wants to sort of get something that sticks in our minds. And this sticks in our minds. Jesus calls what seems to be his best follower, Satan. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so you don't really know what it means. And what I want to do here, I actually want to sort of make this a little bit milder. Um, and uh, see, the word Satan um, actually is not like the name Eric or the name Sally or whatever. Um, the word Satan actually in Greek has a, another meaning. It's not just a proper name. Um, it means adversary or opponent. And um, what Peter, what Jesus is referring to, uh, Peter to here, is really his, his adversary. Somebody who is um, opposing Jesus and the way that he's going to go in his life. Somebody that's standing in his way. And, um, and, and what about us? Where do we stand? Are we, which, on which side of Jesus are we? I mean, we're all here, you know, we're with Jesus, we're, we're willing to be associated with him. I assume a lot of us here are ready to sort of say with Peter, yeah, you're, you're it, you're, you're the Christ. So, but it's possible to do all of that, know the right answers, and still be an opponent of Jesus's, standing in his way. And um, we, we, you know what? We all, we all do. Really, that's, it's not like some people do and some people don't. We all are guilty of standing in Jesus's way and not letting his life go where, or just where he wants to go, where he needs to go, where he must go. Um, and this, this word, get behind me, um, I think what Jesus, what I want to, to hear here is not sort of punishing Peter. He's not saying, Peter, you idiot, go stand in the back of the line. Uh, he's not scolding Peter here. What I, want, what I want you to hear here out of Jesus is just gentle advice. He's trying to tell Peter where the most advantageous place to stand is. And that's behind Jesus. On the way to 
the cross, and the resurrection. That is the best thing that could happen to Peter. And, and, and then the next verse here, which, which really um, explains it all. This is, this is such, a, such an important verse. It, because P, Jesus just sort of says what's going on here with Peter. And he says, for you, in my translation, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Um, what do you think about? What sorts of things occupy your mind? If we can kind of get a, a list of what you have thought about this morning or yesterday or this past week, what, what are those things? And this is, this is really Peter's problem. Um, Peter just has his mind on man things. On the things of man. This, this, this verse here, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I don't know that I've ever noticed this. It really has echoes here in Paul's uh, letter to the Colossians. In the third verse, Paul says at the beginning, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your minds, think about uh, the things above, not the things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him glorious. And this, this, that, those particular verses that are right there, beginning of Colossians 3, it, it's almost like a meditation on this sort of word from Jesus that Paul gives the Colossians, sort of where we're going, what we're going to think about. Um, the things of man. That's pretty much what our world thinks about all the time. That's, that's, that's what fills the minds of human beings, are the things of man. That's what we're thinking about. Um, the life that is being sold to us in advertising, uh, in media, um, books, whatever, whatever it is that sort of um, comes to us and sort of presents life, the important things of life, what should concern us in life, you know, it's, that's pretty much the things of man. That's pretty much what it is. Um, what, what politicians want to sort of tell us is important and what they're going to do for us, you know, it's actually probably just the things of man. Um, and I don't know if I should say this, um, but I'm going to say it anyway, and if there's a problem with it, you can talk to me afterwards. But um, what we call the American dream is pretty much just the things of man. That's, that's pretty much what it is. And Peter, um, he, it's not the American dream. It's the Jewish dream. But um, it's just the things of man. It's just the things of man. That's, that's what Peter is thinking about. That's the, what he wants Christ, Jesus, to do for him. What he wants, what he thinks Jesus is about is sort of securing him in the things of man. Um, so this isn't really looking good for Peter and the other disciples. They know Jesus is the best thing uh, that they've ever seen on the earth, um, but they're his adversaries. They're standing in his way. They're not actually thinking about the uh, right things. And so what now? 
It's interesting here, too. I'm not really sure what to make of this, but it says that Jesus sort of calls the crowd in. So we're not just sort of intimate with the disciples anymore. He kind of brings the crowd in. So now everybody gets to hear this. And what we get is really one of the most important texts in all of world literature. And I, and I, I really mean that. This is one of the most important things that we have on record. This is what Jesus is about to say. This is the secret of life. According to Jesus, this is the secret of life. Um, Let me just read this again. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? Why did Jesus aim to be crucified and resurrected? There's actually multiple reasons. But one of the most important is right here. One of the most important is that so we could get behind Jesus and do it too. That's why he came. This is... This, this, this is actually not very clear in the Old Testament, that this is what the secret of life is about. And Jesus comes, and he, with his life, makes it clear that this is possible, and it's actually a good thing. Um, he shows us that we can do it too, and we'll be okay. We can stop being concerned about our life. We can give it up. It's the secret of life. Dying is the secret of life. Dying is the secret of life. If you want to live, then die. Um, One of the theological words that we use here, well, it's not even all that clever of us. We call call it self-denial. And basically, we're just sort of taking Jesus' word. Self-denial. Abandonment. We just say, "I'm, I'm done with me. I'm done with me. Um, It just means inmates on death row, what are they thinking about? Are they thinking about the American dream? Are they thinking about the things that are being sold to us through the books, media, the things of man? See, you just know that's just out of their mind because they know they're dead. There's no, more, there's no point in thinking about the things of man anymore. They've, they've lost that. And that's, that's really the point that we want to get to, where we just, that just doesn't occupy our minds anymore. The things of God are what occupy our minds. Um, is that your plan for life? This is, what Je- this is what Peter doesn't understand about Jesus. He knows the right answers, but he just doesn't get that Jesus is pointing his own life in this direction, and he's pointing his disciples' life in this direction. This is what he doesn't get. Peter's a Christian. He's associated with Jesus. He's a particularly bright Christian, one you'd want to teach at seminary. But he doesn't get this. And it just shows that we can, we can be there with him and we just really still don't get it. 
and it will take a long time till we actually do get it. So what I want to do here is just sort of talk about, you know, what, how, how we can do this, how we can do this. Um, and the first thing is just getting a handle on what it is that we think about, what goes through our minds, what's, what's, Im- what's important to us, what, um, what, do we, what do we worry about. Think about, you know, if, you, if you're working on this question today, now, think about what, what, is, it, what is it that we worry about. That's, that will answer this question about whether we're thinking about the things of man or the things of God. Um, and that, that's just really the first step. I mean, you, could do, you could do really some, some journaling or just some, some thinking. Write some of the things down. This is, this is what I, an honest assessment of my thought life is this. This is what I think about. Um, and then the second thing is to just give up on those things, if they are the things of man. You just sort of say, well, that's, that's not important. Um, you're going to stop. You're going to spend the rest of our life as if you're dead, as if you've abandoned yourself, your life. Um, and we're just going to listen to Jesus and get behind him. This is, this is actually a really important thing. I mean, I can kind of just sort of flip by this sort of moment of just saying, well, I'm just going to do it. But it really is important to, as often as it seems that way, maybe as often as we read this passage in, in church or privately, to just sort of say, okay, God, what are the things that I'm worried about? What are the things that I'm thinking about? How am I thinking about myself, how am I thinking about my life, and then just start to say, okay, God, uh, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I want to be focused on what you're focused on. And if you're like me, I really assume you are like me, just having those moments in your life isn't going to be enough. Just sort of having moments in which you renounce yourself isn't going to be enough. What you're going to need are practices. Um, I have intended, well, uh, this Wednesday I'm going to fly to Mexico. And I took Spanish in high school and I just, I thought, you know, I should improve. I should try to remember what I knew and improve. Now, just doing that wouldn't actually make me any better at speaking Spanish. It really wouldn't. Just sort of, just that, I actually have to take times when I, and I bought a book, and I planned and did this week, just took time and actually tried to make good on my decision to improve Spanish. And you know what? I did. I did. So the rest of my sermon will be in Spanish. Um, <laughs> I wish. I wish. Uh, but let me just finish with one thing that we can do to help make good on this intention. And I, I hope that we've heard this before uh, here in this church, but it's the thing called solitude. Now, I mean, in a, we're in an Anglican church, so um, might sound a little Catholic, might not be so bad. But um, solitude is... Um, Solitude means that you step away from the things that you're doing and the people that are, you are usually with 
and you're just by yourself with God for an extended period of time. Um, 20 minutes of this isn't really going to help. Um, an hour of this isn't really going to help. Solitude will really start to take place in your life if you, you've got to give it, I mean, this is just a rule of thumb, three hours. And that's what I would, if, if, I'm sure Father Joe will have more to say about this, or has perhaps, but just to think about spending an afternoon to start out with. You know, don't, don't go into a monastery and lock the door for 40 days at first. Maybe not ever. Maybe not ever. Just start with an afternoon. Or a morning. Or, you know, if you work during the, you know, a typical 9 to 5, think about just sort of grabbing a quick dinner, taking it to wherever it is you're going to go, and just being there until you're tired, you drive home, you get in bed. And just start with that. And what you're going to do during this time is nothing. Nothing at all. You're not even going to take, you don't even need to take your Bible. Don't. Don't take your Bible. Don't. Don't take the prayer list of things that you think, you know, I've got to pray for. Just go and be with God by yourself. And let me tell you, this is not, this is going to kill you. (laughs) Because at about the one and a half hour mark, you are going to start saying, I've got to get something done. And then you're just going to stay there. And you're just going to wait until your body stops making you get up out of the chair or leave the room if you're walking around or whatever it is that you're doing. And you're just going to be there. And, and God, he's everywhere. And he'll show himself to you during this time when he thinks it's right. And we're breaking also this sort of we spend our lives with other people and their, the, the demands that they have on us and the, the things, the needs that they have. And we're just sort of taking this time and you will see that eventually, if you're, you will see that um, it's actually pretty hard to not be relevant to anybody. To realize that you, in these three hours, can just be, you're just not there. And everything's just still okay. God's still in control. And uh, I remember the first time that I did this, it was um, in my parents' house, and I was living there at the time, and somebody was supposed to come and pick me up from work, and it was just a misunderstanding, and he didn't. And I had already planned, kind of up until he came, to just sort of sit on the back porch, just sit there, and just not do anything, just be with God. And um, so he didn't come after an hour. He didn't come after two hours. He didn't come after three hours or four hours. And I mean, eventually I realized he wasn't going to come. And uh, I, just, I just was there. And that, it, it, just, it just changes your perspective on life. This is, Jesus did this, right? <laughs> Jesus did this too. Jesus did this too. Um, well, I just want to finish with some quiet. And um, Brian will break the silence uh, here when he thinks it's right. But just some time to think about um, what it is in our lives that we just need to give up on. Or just 
giving, thinking about giving up on ourselves. Okay? Amen.